Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I'm Aaron Cameron. With me, as always, is Adam Pawatic. We're recording live today at the Land and Development Conference uh, as part of our Real Estate Forum series. Our guest today, very excited for this interview, is a gentleman by the name of Benjamin Tall, who is the Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC. Benjamin, thanks for joining. A pleasure. Thank you. We're fresh off of Benjamin's morning session. He's a, he's a staple at these forums. It's always a highlight reel. The information's fast and furious. Aaron and I were in there taking notes the entire time. Vigorously. Yes. Like a whole page over 20 minutes of Benjamin yeah. talking, which I normally do. Yeah. We normally get into the background of our guest, but we are in a limited time frame today. So do you want to do the 30-second version of how you got to be the recurring favorite for the morning sessions at the Real Estate Forum? Well, I really don't know. I just tell a story and I think uh, you have to try to make it interesting. Quite frankly, the market is crazy. There is a lot to talk about and people are interested in interest rates. So we tell a story and that's what I do. I'm a storyteller. I don't know why I lie awake at night thinking about questions from my guests. I thought I'll do this. You know, breaking news, Ben, I just saw this alarm pop up on my phone. Did you hear that interest rates are rising? <laughs> and let's talk about that. I mean, you just spent the last 30 minutes just talking about the drivers of inflation. The first thing you started with was gas and the implications of rising oil prices on inflation. And maybe let's just talk about how you, you kind of believe they're a bit decoupled now than they have been historically as it relates to indicators of a recession. Yes, that's correct. We are in the midst of an oil shock, mostly because of what's happening in Europe. And we have a situation in which oil prices, gasoline prices are rising, and that's clearly impacting the psyche of people. At the same time, you look at the sensitivity of the consumer to higher gasoline prices or higher prices. It's not as high as it used to be because as a society, we are less sensitive to higher um, energy prices. And that's something that is uh, changing in a very significant way because of energy efficiency. Another factor is what's happening in Alberta. Oil uh, executives are not investing the way they used to because they know that green is replacing black. And that's something that is changing the dynamics. Not to say that energy is not important, but it's not as inflationary as it used to be. We were just at the Edmonton Real Estate Forum up the Western Apartment Investment Conference, and they were celebrating the fact that they've diversified their economy away from oil and gas. And now the impact of oil and gas rising is just a duplicative, right? They've already got this growing economy outside of that industry, and now it's just even greater for them. That's exactly it, yeah. So you do buy into the fact that Alberta does have a lot going for it other than just uh, oil prices, to put it bluntly? Absolutely. I think that Alberta is the future. I think that Alberta will uh, outperform the rest of the economy over the next two years, economically speaking, just because of the fact that they're starting from a very low base. Even commercial real estate will start improving. I think that Alberta will be a leader in green. Things are moving in the right direction. It's a slow process, but IRL energy prices clearly help there in terms of the budget uh, situation. Well, let's go there. I mean, one of the benefits of living in Alberta, and particularly Calgary, house prices, at least two weeks ago, I have no idea where they are now, were averaged $400,000 versus Toronto and Vancouver, where they're north of a million. But that seems to be changing as a result of what the Bank of Canada is doing to battle inflation. Maybe just talk through what you're seeing as it relates to our housing market and how that impacts Bank of Canada decision-making. Yes, uh, people said that the Bank of Canada will not raise interest rates because of the housing market. And I don't think that's the case. I think that they would like to see the housing market slowing because clearly after prices rising by 48% in two years, clearly something has to give. And as I suggested in my address, we have to realize that this has uh, been a very abnormal recession in the sense that all the jobs that were lost were low-paying jobs. Renters, home buyers benefited from the recession. They got low interest rates without the cost of a recession because they didn't lose their job. That's extremely important. And that's really the reason why we have seen a situation in which we borrowed a lot of activity from the future. 
And parents told their kids, go to the market now, that's an opportunity, and we will help you. Gifting. Here's a couple hundred million, a yeah. couple hundred thousand dollars. Exactly. Yeah. Gifting is huge. One third of home buyers are getting a gift. 10% of mover up is getting a gift. So you have to understand this market. You really have to understand also gifting. So overall, we borrowed activity from the future. The future is arriving and interest rates are accelerating the process. So we've seen rental rates across the country going up significantly in the last 45, 60 days. Would you believe that's tied to the, the low-wage job economy improving so dramatically? Yes. First of all, I think that we have to realize that the ratio of home price to rent went up to the sky during COVID. Home prices went up, rent didn't because the damage was at the low end of the wage space. Now it's changing. So clearly, I think that the wages will continue to rise and therefore rent activity will continue to rise. Is that just because you know, the home buyers were obviously taking on leverage, so borrowing versus renters aren't necessarily impacted by interest rates? Absolutely. That's exactly the case. And they're getting their jobs back and their wages are rising. The fastest growing wage segment is actually among low paid individuals. So the lower your wages, the higher your wage inflation is. And that's extremely important. That's helping the rent aspect demand. And I believe that for the next two years, uh, something very funny will happen. Rent inflation will outpace home price. We as lenders, we track the new apartment rental market quite closely. I would imagine if it is low wage earners seeing dramatic increases, that would likely impact the existing stock more than new apartments coming on stream given that low-wage earners are probably not shopping for $4,000 a month apartments. That's very true. And that's why we see a situation in which supply is starting to slow down. And that's really because of the fact that the construction costs rising so rapidly, you cannot find labor. I had many conversations with developers over the next few weeks. I was amazed to see how many projects are being delayed or canceled altogether. And to me, that's very, very worrisome because you have a situation in which now the pressure on supply will ease because demand is slowing down. But that's not a permanent situation. Two years from now, we will be back. We're still getting those 450,000 new immigrants a year. You know, demand is not disappearing and the supply will not be there. The situation will get worse. So we need to find the solution to this situation. For the first time ever, people are talking about supply. Governments are talking about supply as an issue. But I'm afraid that the sense of urgency will ease and that's something that will not benefit the market. Well, Ben, this is maybe just market intel for you as you're compiling all these different inputs for your, your analytics. Sitting where Adam and I sit on the lending side of the business, we've got a large book, 70, 80, 90 construction loans under our administration. And we're talking to our clients on a daily basis. And the conversations are interesting. When rates started to rise on the apartment development side, it was, you know what, it doesn't really make sense because I can't figure out what my exit value looks like at my cost, because my costs are so high, it makes more sense for me to flip to condo because I can sell the units at whatever they project it to sell at. Now, all of a sudden, of course, with interest rates rising on the home buyer side, the value of condos seem to be diminishing. And now the developers are going, well, wait a minute, maybe I can't make this work on the development side. I can't make it work on the apartment side because I don't know where my value is. I can't sell the units for what I want to sell them for to get out of my costs. I'm just not going to build. And you talked in your speech today about the challenge with policymakers and the decision makers that developers can just eat these additional costs. We just talk to what your thoughts are on that. Exactly. I think that governments don't get it. And again, I will repeat what I said there. When I talk to government officials, really, what they tell me, oh, whatever we do, inclusionary zoning, taxes, development charges, they can take it. They are loaded. They are millionaires. No, it's a business transaction. If you don't make money, you don't build. And that's exactly what's happening, regardless how rich you are. And they don't get it. They don't get it. So I think that the supply will go down. And what's worse is the supply of purpose-built started to go up and then now going down again. That worries me because the future is all about purpose-built. I believe that we have to create a situation in which you are 35 years old, you are married, 
you have two kids and you are renting, nothing is wrong with you. To me, that's the only solution to the affordability crisis that we are facing. If we don't build purpose bill, it will not happen. There's a whole bunch of our friends in Montreal nodding their head right now because that's <laughs> normal in their market. I was going to cite it as the European model in a lot of cities there, but similar concept. I guess, well, I just want to stay on the topic of interest rates. Obviously, it's really pertinent to Aaron's and mine business. Are you a believer in the concept that's floating around the real estate industry that we will be in recession within a year or so? We'll see them coming down with the overnight rate. We'll see bond rates coming back down. That's kind of the, there's a few thoughts circulating that people take as, as good news in the industry. Do you uh, buy into that? The short answer is yes. I think that the probability of a recession is about 30-35%, quite frankly. It will be caused, if it happens, due to overshooting by the Bank of Canada. So I'm watching the Bank of Canada very closely. We know that the Bank of Canada will like to submit a message that they mean business when it comes to inflation because they want to control inflation expectations. So they're going fast, 50 basis points. Some people say even 75 basis points is the next move. You know the story. The question is how high the goal. Neutral rate is between two and three, they estimate. And now they believe that they will go to about three, which is the highest part of this. I say go to 2.5, maybe 2.75 and rest. See what happens. Look at the housing market. Look at inflation. Remember, they cannot control inflation. They cannot control 70% of inflation, which is supply chain. We have to see supply chain improving. The opening up in China is a good thing. Therefore, you need a working assumption about the virus. And if you assume that 2022 is a transition year between a pandemic to an endemic, then it's reasonable to assume that a year from now, supply chain will not be a major issue. However, it will take time to see, and the Bank of Canada does not have the time. And therefore, there is a risk that they will raise interest rates. That's basically where we are. It's, it seems really funny because you were saying this, Benjamin, up on stage, about like the supply system is not broken. It just it got really stressed as a result of the spending that occurred as a result of COVID, which was a, obviously an anomaly historically anyway. Doesn't the Bank of Canada realize that it's not a matter of something that needs to be fixed with rising, drastically rising interest rates? It's just a matter of waiting it out for the supply chain to basically fix itself or catch back up. And therefore, this inflationary environment we're in is as temporary as the pandemic was? It's a very difficult situation to be in. They do realize that. That's why they said in before that this inflation is short-lived because it's all about supply chain. They're right. But it takes time. Now, during this time, you and I can look at the numbers and say, oh my gosh, the price of bread is rising, milk is rising, beer prices are rising, adjusting my expectations. So although they know that the source of inflation is something that they cannot control, the average person doesn't know that. They simply see prices rising and they adjust their inflation expectations. And if you believe that inflation will rise, you go to your boss and say, I want a wage increase and it will feed This is a self-fulfilling prophecy, so, so to speak. That's the risk. So you have to show, not in language, but in action, that you're serious. And that's exactly what they're doing now. We'll wrap up really soon, Ben, because I know you've got lots of things going on. There's clearly very unique circumstances in our world right now. Interest rates and cap rates, because this is sort of a conversation that we've been having regularly. I looked this morning, I haven't seen uh, Marcus, I guess, are opening now, but they're up 16 basis points over yesterday's open. That's how Aaron ruined my morning this yeah, morning. Sorry I about that. Up, I yeah. know. The cheapest mortgage rate in commercial, which would be insured CMHC for apartments you can get today, and this would be for top asset, top location, top borrower, is 4%. That's for the best apartments. For non-apartments, therefore industrial or other commercial retail office, what have you, is 5%. Can you just talk to what that means from a real estate perspective? I know you don't live in the real estate world, but clearly if that's the cost of borrowing, what is the impact on valuations that you would predict would occur? Yes, absolutely. And I think that the number one factor impacting valuation now is basically interest rates, quite frankly, and how quickly they will be rising. So we have to distinguish between short-term interest rates and the five-year rate, the 10-year rate. 
The short-term rate will continue to rise very, very quickly. The prime rate will rise, and that's something that is important. However, if you look at the five-year rate, the 10-year rate, remember, those prices are already priced in. In theory. In theory, in theory, what's going to happen? Are they wrong? Are they projecting too much of an increase, right? Like I, th- the- I think, yes. I think they're projecting a bit too much of an increase. They are too uh, hawkish. And therefore, it's reasonable to assume that the uh, rates uh, will be roughly more or less where they are a year from now or even lower. And that's something that we have to take into account. Remember, people just look at the Bank of Canada and assume that whenever the Bank of Canada goes, those rates will go. No, no, it's already in there. there. It's priced in. That's something to take into account. But you're absolutely right. The number one factor impacting valuations now will be not only the direction of interest rates, but also the magnitude. Are you watching the curve? Because I mean, the difference between the five and the 10-year Canada's is now seven basis points, eight basis points. Is that material to you if all of a sudden we kind of see inverse in the curve on the long end? Yes, absolutely. Because when you have short-term interest rates rising too quickly and long-term interest rates not rising, you have an inversion. That's basically a prediction of a recession. That's my fear. That's my 30% probability. But that's happened before no recession occurred. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Then because the curve fixed itself very, very quickly. And that's something that we need to see. Look at 2017-18, the Bank of Canada moved at 175 and stopped. Stopped. And here we have to talk about the effectiveness of monetary policy. And I believe that the effectiveness in Canada is significant because of the amount of debt that we have. So maybe the disease is also the cure. So Aaron and I don't like to end on a sour note. Uh, and we are the land Stay, of let's be, let's be positive yeah, here. So yeah, make us feel good. What's, Benjamin, a, what's some yeah. good news for uh, developers listening right now? No, I, I think we have to put it in perspective. We are slowing down and that's a very, very good thing. We all agree that the market that is rising by 48% in two months, in two years, is crazy. It's unsustainable. It's dangerous. So the fact that we're slowing down, in my opinion, is a very good thing. Now, you look at the fundamentals of this market beyond the next year or two where we are going to slow down. Those fundamentals are in the sky. As I suggested, the demand will still be there. We're talking about 450, potentially 500,000 new immigrants a year. That's a huge increase. Six, seven times more than you have in the U.S. So when people compare Canada versus the U.S. real estate, also compare immigration and see that it's a totally different story. The supply is not there, unfortunately, and it will get even worse, which means that the fundamentals of this market are extremely strong. They will remain strong. And I'm a very bullish economist, if you wish, when it comes to real estate valuations. I just think that the next year will test this market and that will be a good thing because we need an adjustment. It's a cool down period. Yes, it is. And we need it. Yeah, it was too hot before. Yeah. Benjamin, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you've got lots of things to do today. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. Economist emergency somewhere that has to be addressed. Uh, Thanks for the Real Estate Forum for hosting us here at the Land and Development Conference. Thanks to First National Powering the Podcast. And again, thanks, Benjamin, for coming on. A pleasure and good luck. Thank you. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast after show where Aaron and I discuss the interview that just happened. Ben Tall. That was an interesting one. Tell you Can why. you call him Ben? I kept saying I, Benjamin. I felt well, bad. George calls him Benny. Benny, I know. Or, well, we're nowhere, nowhere near Benny. <laughs> like, we met him just once. I think that him and George yeah. probably have uh, several hundred meetings under their belt. So we'll save Benny for next time. Down the road. Next time yeah. is Benny. He's yeah. Uncle Benny to me. But I think if I had to go back to our very first notes when we were putting together the concept of this podcast and we did like a top 10 like must-have guests, for sure he would have been on that yeah, list. No, no. I mean, John Love, him, Blake Hutchison. A couple others, Emery, like all of them, check, 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 check. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. not to pat ourselves on the back, so to speak. Anyway, let's talk about yeah, yeah, what Ben. Yeah, yeah. A couple things first off the top. One, really interesting to hear him say that interest rates are kind of kind of stay where they are. I mean, I will date stamp this because I did reference it. It's Tuesday, June seventh, and the five-year Canada's is three point one eight or something crazy like that. 
the CMHC Canada mortgage bond five years, like 3.5. Like they're as high as they've been in probably at least eight, nine years. And that means all in coupons of 4% for insured and 5% for conventional. Those are the cheapest mortgage rates you can get in the marketplace. And he thinks that's going to stay. And if not decline, which I think is really telling and probably make everybody smile that it ever has to borrow for real estate acquisitions or what have you. Well, I, I would be happy to hear that because just pure gut feel talking to us. I spend all day talking to people about this, obviously. The idea that we are still in a market that is healthy enough to continue under the strain of the interest rates is we're, we're somewhere near a breaking point where people all of a sudden just do complete pens down, big reevaluation on what property cost. I think we're near a breaking point. Yeah. I mean, and it's stressing everybody out in the industry, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. Because I mean, and again, this is the most capital intensive industry in the world. And so you need to borrow to do anything in this business. And so if you're borrowing, you're dealing and feeling the pain or feeling the heartburn. This is funny. So I was doing an education and training session with some of the staff at FN. And I just, someone asked the question, like, what were rates back a couple of years ago? Because there was there were kind of a newer group of people. And I, I don't know, let me just grab a random date. So I literally just grabbed random date. I grabbed November 30th, 2020. And I opened it up. And we were sub two still then. It was yeah. 0.48 was the five-year Canada's bond. Yeah, so all in. Spread, spreads at the time, I remember, were 1.4%. <laughs> so an all in best interest rate you could get commercial. This isn't even CMAC insured. This commercial was like 1.7%. You could borrow five years, $100 million on a five-year conventional term to build your industrial, like leverage your industrial portfolio or an office tower at 1.7%. Today, they're five. But 1.7 was asinine. Like that's inflationary or perhaps even sub-inflationary, right? So that's too hot. Like that's the point. Like that, that was just unreasonable, right? And because it did gap out like that, it put the gap between interest rates and cap rates, the widest it had been in. Well, yeah. And and again, that was why people started buying stuff at 3% cap rates. Because like, well, crap, if I'm borrowing at 1.7, I've still got 130 basis point spread. So, woo-ha, I'm in the money. Now when it's 5%, 3% cap rate means you're going to basically go bankrupt, right? Well, one silver lining to that ratio is it did gap out the widest it had been in years. So interest rates came back up. Part of that was just kind of reabsorbing slack back to a point that the market's comfortable with. We are definitely past that point now, but that is something to consider that it's not just a pure mathematical equation on how much they go up. You might see cap rates go down because there was a lot of slack before. One thing we didn't get to with Benjamin, unfortunately, I mean, just to reiterate, he was in a rush. So we kind of, we hoped we had a good 20 something minutes. We only got like 15, but I think we got more time than he probably <laughs> wanted us to get anyway. So I'll keep going. Well, he ripped through a lot of content, <laughs> yeah, actually. It was, it was uh, yeah, um, We kind of touched on the labor market and the impact on inflation. And we did kind of iterate, or he iterated that it kind of self-fulfills itself in the sense that as wages rise as a result of inflation, that causes inflation. And that's part of the challenge the Bank of Canada is facing. When he was doing his presentation before, he talked about how there's about a million workers that aren't accounted for now that they were accounted for pre-COVID. And he was like, I don't know where they've gone. So that was funny. He set it up by saying there's this notion, and for sure, I'd agree, I've heard it a hundred times, that just young workers don't want to work because they got served. Now they're lazy and now they're just sitting at home playing video games. And he goes, the data doesn't support that. Well, where are they? And I kind of held my breath. I'm like, oh, this will be a great answer. And goes, I don't know. And I was like, oh, well, at, least, at least it's an honest answer. And I wanted to get this out, but again, we kind of got crushed for time. Is it not the gig economy? Isn't it just TikTok? And I've got friends, like neighbors, like, yeah, I do this on the side, but you know, really I'm building artwork or doing this, or doing that and cre- selling it online and coding on the side for Fiverr.com or whatever it is, right? Like there's... I think there's so much of that. I'm not sure that gets captured in employment data because how would you ever know that these people are making a living 
just providing their one-off inside. services. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? So maybe that's just the impact of COVID. I'm just theorizing. I wish Ben was here to tell me how smart I am. The other thing that I think is really interesting is just this comment about the developers. And we have this conversation all the time about the risk-reward. I mean, he said it. I mean, it, we're in a capitalist world. You don't build unless you can make money. And curiously, the decision makers, the policymakers still just don't seem to get that. Well, he did talk about that in the presentation that builders' yields are under further pressure. I mean, even when interest rates are more favorable, builders' yield was still smaller than it was eight or nine years ago. The gap between what cap rate you would pay in an existing product versus the cap rate you should be building to. And that's supposed to account for the additional risk of undertaking construction and leasing up and terming out into an unknown market. And that had already shrunk quite a bit from the previous eight or nine years. And then now throw some negative interest rate headwinds into it as long as cost overruns. That yield must be just razor thin right now. Or negative and therefore nothing's getting built. Right? Well, hence, like, yeah, it's non-viable. Yeah, I which think. is his point of there's no supply coming along. And, and I mean, he said it more succinctly in his presentation, but I'll kind of try to capture it is that this is going to last a couple of years right now. He said one year. So that's yeah, okay. The, I like yeah, that. One a lot to two better. years. So it's not going to last very long. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're just not going to build anything. And we're going to come out of this. The economy is going to be back to regular run rate. And rates, we're just going to have no supply. We're going to have more immigration. We're going to have a healthy labor market. And apartment rents, all rents, however you want to define the term, are going to be up, way up. And there's no way we can avoid it, basically, unless we stop charging so much and figure out the lab- how to supply labor to construction workers and figure out how to control costs to the construction inputs. Like, it's... Feels like just an unwinnable battle. Well, let's, let's make Aaron King in the city if he can solve all these. That's uh, sounds free. Okay. Yeah. Labor's free. L- <laughs> Lumber's free. Land's free. It's all free. Well, if we've taken a more negative view on it, I was actually having this discussion with my dad. He's a developer, so he knows real estate, obviously. And he was saying that real estate is too big a part of the economy to have the current construction levels derailed in the cities across Canada. We're seeing a massive boom. But, I mean, there was the reality in the 70s where a building boom stopped and then nothing resumed for multiple decades. There are scenarios where everything stops and you don't see such clear indicators that you're coming back to a building viable environment that you could get sidelined for decades. Now, obviously, we're talking about 40, 50 years ago. It's a different world, different environment, different metrics at play. Canada's a different country than it was then. But there are outcomes that could include that. We've seen it before where for multiple decades, nobody really built anything. We're talking condo and apartment specifically. Yeah. And it's really kind of unfortunate. We usually like to let end these things on… Well, it's not too late. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I got a negative thing to end on. You can turn it around on me. But I, for all intents and purposes, as a result of the pandemic, this sort of shock to our system, our, our economic system via inflation and supply systems disruption as a result of the pandemic… The pandemic lasted sort of two and a half years. I mean, I know COVID's still around, but for the most part, we're all kind of back participating in society. There's no masks here. We're okay. So the pandemic was ultimately temporary, if you think in decades and decades of timeframes. And hopefully the result we're experiencing in our economy is temporary. And you'd like to take the opportunity to do some of the right things in our market, particularly the commercial real estate market, which is add some supply, build more. Let's take advantage of this right now. The only way to do that is through policymakers, whether that be on the municipal level, provincial level, federal level, Bank of Canada. And unfortunately, it just feels like they're just not going to do it. They're not going <laughs> to help us. They're actually going to make it worse. I mean, in Toronto, we got a 49% increase in development charges coming at the end of the year. Like at 40, the worst time possible. Yeah, absolute worst time possible. The municipal decision makers deciding, well, let's just add another huge cost to performance. That'll help. 
Are we ending on a positive render there? Okay. I don't know. Do you have anything? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'll go back to every conversation I've had with… I'll use Toronto as an example because I obviously talk with a lot of developers here. Every single developer, regardless of whether it was condo or apartment, just goes back to that 100,000 immigrants a year. You know, just the goose that laid the golden egg. Even back when eight or nine years ago, it actually wasn't 100,000. It was more like 80. But that was the number that always got bandied about. Is This is just going to make development viable forever. And that's not just Toronto. That's all across the country, no matter where you are. And there, there you go. I'm negative Nancy right now. But I mean, the fact that rents are going to appreciate much faster than they have in the past. Maybe that just skates us all through this. And we end up looking back on it going, whew, thank goodness rents are $7 a square foot in this city. Said nobody who's actually renting, but yes, that's <laughs> yeah. at least on the development side, would make sense. Okay, I think we've got a positive note to end off on here. We've, <laughs> yeah. we've got it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. That is the after show. And thanks for Ben Tall for coming on. That was super yeah, that interesting. Was awesome. yep. yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.